Wonderful. Well, just for a, a few minutes. Charging, uh, as the children get on with the activities, I just want to briefly share some thoughts about this wonderful event that we have just witnessed on the video. Today, I'm just going to briefly give some thoughts around Jesus' preparing of the disciples to go out on this mission. Next week, John is going to be preaching with us the second part, and in essence, the consequences of the towns and the people that would reject the disciples and their message. And then the week after, we'll look at the 72's return to Jesus and their debrief. So Jesus had gathered and taught many disciples throughout his earthly ministry, those whose task it would be to carry on spreading this incredible life-saving, life-transforming message in the future after Jesus had returned to heaven. As Jesus was on his final journey to Jerusalem, he decided to send his disciples out on their own, to put into practice everything that he had taught them, everything that he had shown them as they travelled with him. For those who remember, Jesus did something similar to this back in Luke 9, when he sent out his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over demons and sickness and gave them instructions to preach the kingdom of God. He also told them, as he did in this story, not to take anything with them and to place their trust in God's provision and to receive and accept any hospitality that was given to them. Today, in this story, and for those who would like to just go back and read it afterwards, it's the first nine verses, nine verses of chapter 10 in Luke that we're looking at today. In this story, we see a similar situation, but this time, Jesus is sending out a wider group of his disciples with a similar remit as the 12, but with an additional remit to prepare the town, the people in the town, for his arrival as he journeyed to Jerusalem. So in verse 1 of Luke 9.10, Jesus begins by sharing this brief with the disciples and he says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others, and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, some of you may be aware that there are uh, ancient manuscripts that differ on this account of the number. Many reliable manuscripts say 72, others say 70. But most of our modern translations have... um, have decided in favour of the 72. But irrespective of whichever way you lean, it doesn't affect any doctrinal position at all. What's also interesting is that some scholars believe that this number was most likely symbolic, a symbolic number of the known nations in the world at that time, and the links back to Genesis 10 and the list of nations from Noah 
again, some uh, bedtime reading for you, if, you would, uh, if you'd like to read that. But why were they sent out in twos? Well, in essence, it was about witness. It's about witness. Part of the Old Testament law was that one witness was not sufficient. Two or more was required. We see this play out in regards to crime in Deuteronomy 19.15, which says a single witness shall not suffice against a person from any crime or for any wrong, uh, wrong in connection with any offence that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. The sending out of disciples in pairs would aid the validity of the gospel message that the disciples were to proclaim to the people in the villages. Then Jesus goes on. He's given them their brief. They know their task. He then moves on to give them their instructions. And just to help as we briefly look over these, I've split these instructions into four headings. Pray, prepare, participate and proclaim. Don't you love it when all the first letters line up? Praise God. It's a super spiritual church thing, I think. So first one, the first instruction that he gives is to pray. In verse 2 he says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Jesus often used examples didn't he, that people would understand these. And in this instance, he's using this example of farming. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the labourers are few. In other words, there are many people ripe and ready to hear the life-saving news of the gospel, many ready to receive and to accept it and to join the family of God. But there is a problem in the supply chain. There aren't enough people to carry the message to all who are ready for the message. Jesus' solution, you begin with prayer. You begin with prayer. This is such a great time of opportunity, but their success in reaching people and expanding the amount of people who could carry the gospel message further afield wasn't just through their work in the fields, in the villages at this time. It would also be found upon and propped up by their prayer to God for favour in their mission and also via his sovereign direction. Church, does our morning prayers consist of asking God for harvest throughout our days? Do we ask for opportunities in our prayers in the morning to share his gospel? Do we pray for favour and seek his sovereign direction as we do so? The truth is, and we speak about this often here because it is true, our town is ripe for harvest and many hearts are open to hear and to receive. And he is looking to the, Christ, the, 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 the Christian body, his church, in Whitney, us included, to share that message. He then goes on to give an instruction too. 
prepare. Jesus says in verses 3 and 4, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Anyone who has any idea of the, uh, uh, the natural kingdom that we uh, around us will know that a wolf is a predator and the lamb is the wolf's prey. So what is Jesus saying? In essence, this mission that he's sending them on, this task is just full of risk. It's full of risk. We saw a glimpse of this back in Luke 9 with the rejection from the Samaritan village. This is to be expected and it will be in a regular occurrence. Their task will be dangerous and they will often minister under duress. Jesus didn't hold back in in proclaiming this, did he? he? Remember he turned around and said, if the world hates you, know that it hates me before it hates you. But the wonderful truth is that sheep are not left to wander alone. Amen indeed. They have a shepherd to protect them from the wolves. And Jesus is our great shepherd, the great shepherd of his people. And though he is sending them out to dangerous territories, they are not alone if they wholeheartedly believe and walk in faith on, uh, in their dependency on him. We see the same call to trust when Jesus tells them what they are not to take with them on the journey. Take no money bag, take no knapsack, take no sandals with you, as in an extra pair of sandals. Why would Jesus tell them to leave the basic items behind? Because Jesus wants them to fully trust God's ability to provide all that they need and promised that their needs would be provided by God. How often, church, do we avoid sharing this hope that's within us in the tough environments and situations of our lives? Sometimes there is no tougher environment than to our own family. How often do we fail to have faith that God will provide our needs? Not necessarily our wants, but he will provide our need. Each day before we leave the house, we need to prayerfully prepare our hearts and our heads by placing our full trust in Jesus, our great shepherd, and in being ready to boldly share our faith, whatever the situation, whatever the environment. That must be our, our prayers every day. Instruction three, participate. Jesus said in verses five and six, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Time is running away with this today, so it doesn't allow me to delve into the richness of the meaning of this benediction that the disciples are to pray over the households. But I just want to highlight a couple of points. When the disciples enter a village, they were to seek somewhere, a place to stay. They were to find a dwelling where the occupants would receive them and receive the message that they brought. This 
saying, peace be to this house, was a blessing upon the household. Not the house, not the bricks and the mortar, but it was upon the household. And it was a common Old Testament greeting, one that reflected this concept of shalom, this peace, this harmony, this wholeness and completeness. And as we see in our, uh, as we've journeyed in our passage, it can be given and it can be taken away. The key is faith. If faith is not present, then the occupants in the occupants of the house, then the blessing of peace will not be effective. But once the disciples found the hospitality, somewhere a house that was hospitable to them, they were to stay there for the duration of their time. Jesus goes on in verse 7 and 8 and says, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, they receive you and eat Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. The disciples would primarily be visiting Jewish and Samaritan villages, towns and regions where food laws were important, but I don't think Jesus was referring to these Jewish laws around food. I would suggest that Jesus' instructions here is, in essence, to accept and receive whatever is placed in front of you with gladness and gratefulness and to see it as God's provision through the host's kindness. A simple principle that still applies to us today. If, we, if God calls us to visit a believer or someone who wants to know more about the hope inside us, then we must receive with sincerity in our hearts the goodwill and favour of the host as God works through them. And don't be afraid before you leave to offer to pray for peace and favour of God upon them and their household. Lastly, instruction four, we've had pray, prepare, practice. Lastly, proclaim. In verse 9, Jesus says, Heal the sick in it, in that town, wherever you are, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Note that Jesus tells them to preach that the kingdom of God has come near to them. Back in Luke 9, he says, it was here. This is quite possibly because they'd gone to prepare for Jesus' arrival into that town. Jesus represents the kingdom of God on earth. So when he arrives in, arrives in that town, the kingdom would have arrived in him, though not fully revealed. There is also this common thread of healing the sick and casting out the demons. This is testimony to the power of God and a glimpse of the physical representation of what the kingdom of God will bring. The kingdom of God is key thread, is a key thread throughout the whole of Jesus' ministry. And it's something we often forget when we share and proclaim the gospel message. We share Jesus, his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, 
and his rising to new life. We share what he did for humankind, paying the penalty of our rebellion toward God, our creator. And we share the offer of salvation that is offered to all who would believe and accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour by faith alone. But we often forget to share the kingdom of God is near. It is near. It is alive in the believer's heart via the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Wherever we go, wherever we walk, whatever environment we find ourselves in, we are ambassadors for Jesus and we are representatives of his kingdom until he comes in fullness. Amen? So if the band would like to come up, church Jesus was preparing his disciples for the day when they will have to stand there on their own two feet with help from the Holy Spirit and carry on the work that Jesus started. This was an opportunity to put into practice all that he had taught them. And the wonderful truth is that 2,000 years later, we carry this same message and many after us will continue to carry this message. A message that has been passed down from generation to generation as we did this morning with our young ones. This message of hope, of peace and love, a message of the kingdom of God that is both here in part and still to come in its fullness. The world is still as lost as it was when Jesus sent out his disciples back then. And if we claim to be disciples of Jesus today, church, then let us also boldly live by the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples 2,000 years ago. Let us pray. Pray for opportunities to share the hope and the faith that is in us and for more workers to harvest those searching in Whitney. Let us prepare by having faith that God will provide all that we need in our lives and in our ministries and for boldness to be faithful in the tough situations. Let us participate by being a people who carry the peace of God with us, showing goodwill and favour to believers and to those who receive the message we share. And let us be a people that proclaim the gospel truth to a fallen world as ambassadors for Jesus and representatives of his kingdom. Amen.